Welcome to A.T. Stewart and Sons Ministries. I'm your host, A.T. Stewart. I'm glad you've chosen to join us today as we look into the Word of God. So take your Bibles and let's hang out in God's Word for a few moments and see what God would say to us today. Tonight we're going to be looking at the Tribulation Saints over in chapter 14 of Revelation. So if you have your Bibles, turn over to chapter 14 of Revelation. This chapter is another break in the action. Uh, We see in chapter 13 uh, the revelation of the Antichrist and the false prophet and how the Antichrist and false prophet will persecute the church, uh, bring horrific uh, tortures and suffering upon the church. And uh, now we In chapter 14, we have a break in that action to once again assure us, the Christians, that God will persevere and preserve them through uh, the tribulation. It's like God is saying, now remember, even though the Antichrist and the false prophet will persecute you and mock you and kill you, I will still bring you victoriously through uh, the tribulation. Now, the first few verses of this chapter focus on what I call the tribulation saints, also known as the 144,000. We have already met this company. Uh, We saw them in chapter 7, another interlude in the action of the book of Revelation. We saw there these 144,000 bond servants of the Lord sealed. Uh, We saw them protected preserved, and we saw them purchased. I stated then that I believe the number 144,000 was a symbolic number representing the totality of Christians that will go into the tribulation, those that God seals against His divine wrath. And whatever position you might take on when the rapture occurs, Either you may say it will occur prior to the tribulation, or some people say it will occur at the midpoint of the tribulation, or some people say, as I do, it will occur at the end of the tribulation. But either way, any position you take, you still have Christians in the tribulation. If the rapture takes place before the tribulation, well, then you have people who become Christians during the tribulation. And so you have Christians in the tribulation. Obviously, if it takes place in the middle or at the end, uh, you will have Christians in the tribulation. So there's no question that the Scripture teaches there will be Christians living during the tribulation. Hence, I call them the tribulation saints. Now, we're going to look a little closer tonight at this elite group of Christians that will go into the tribulation. I believe that we should study them for two reasons. First, They are a unique group. No Christians in history will be purged, tried, tested, and proven like this group. They are the Green Beret, the elite forces of God's army. Also, I think we need to study it because I think that some of us may well be a part of this elite force. 
we may find ourselves before we go to be with the Lord in the tribulation. So it will be helpful for us to know what's ahead and that we might be able to get ready for it. Now, these tribulation saints should be and are an inspiration to us all. Now, from your outline, uh, we will notice three things about these tribulation saints. First, they are an exalted group. They are exalted saints. Exalted, E-X-A-L-T-E-D. And then secondly, they will be an exuberant saints. And I'll get to that spelling when we get there. And then thirdly, they will be an exemplary saints. The exemplary, they are exuberant, and they are exalted saints. Chapter 14 of Revelation, I will read verse 1 through verse 5. And I looked, and behold, the Lamb was standing on Mount Zion, and with him 144,000, having his name and the name of his Father written on their foreheads. And I heard a voice from heaven, like the sound of many waters, like the sound of a loud trumpet. And the voice which I heard was like the sound of a harpist playing on their harps. And they sang a new song before the throne, And before the four living creatures and the elders, and no one could learn the song except the 144,000 who had been purchased from the earth. These are the ones who have not been defiled with women, for they are celibates. They are the ones who follow the Lamb wherever He goes. These have been purchased from among men as first fruits of God to the Lamb. And no lie was found in their mouths. They are blameless. Okay, first, they are exalted saints. Now, they're not exalted by the world. They're hated by the world. They are despised. They're ridiculed, mocked by the world. They are murdered by the world. No, the tribulation saints will not be exalted by the world. Neither are they exalted by the established religion of their day, which we've already seen is that one world church, that false church, which will be a prostituted form of Christianity. These tribulation saints will be executed, excuse me, excommunicated and tortured by the established church. They'll be branded as heretics, fanatics, and mentally insane by the organized religious leaders. Why then do we call them exalted saints? Because they will be exalted by God. This, to the tribulation saints, is greater than any commendation the world could give them. To be exalted by God is their joy. They want to please God and not man. They will have the name of Jesus and God the Father on their foreheads, as we see in verse 1. 144,000 have in his name and the name of his father written on their foreheads. Remember the worshipers of the Antichrist receive his mark on their head and on their hand. The tribulation saints receive the honored mark of Jesus' name and the father's name on their foreheads. Now this award will be far greater than any medal of honor that the world could bestow. 
Now, why does God so highly exalt this group? Because they followed God's formula for exaltation. The Bible gives a path for exaltation. It's far different from the world's. The world says if you want to be exalted, you need to impress people. You need to show off. You need to push ahead. You, you need to, to uh, blow your own horn. God's way is much different. What does God say? First, they are exalted because they've traveled the road, road of humility. God's way of exaltation always involves humility first. First Peter 5, 6 says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you at the proper time. They have been sanctified through their sufferings. Second reason they're exalted, Hebrews 12, 9. But we do see him who has been made for a little while lower than the angels, namely Jesus, because of the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor. And again, we see in Philippians 2, Jesus' exaltation was in direct proportion to his humiliation. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name. And then in 1 Peter 4.13, But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing, so that also at the revelation of his glory you may rejoice with exaltation. So God's pathway to be exalted is to be humbled. Uh, therefore, through the testing and the trials and the sufferings that these tribulation saints will endure at the hands of the Antichrist and the one world false church, they are purified and they are humbled. And therefore, God exalts them and bestows on them his name, and the name of Jesus. And this brings, I think, an interesting question that we need to ask ourselves is how do we react to suffering? You don't have to be a tribulation saint to be perfected and purified and and uh, sanctified through your sufferings. We've been studying that on Sunday mornings in First Peter. Uh, God's desire is to use adversity and hardships in our life to bring us into deeper levels of spiritual maturity, uh, to perfect our faith even as gold is purified in fire. They are God's ways of humbling us and purifying us so that he can properly, in his time, exalt us. Why do some people suffer so much more than others? I think it's because God's preparing them for a greater place of exaltation in his eternal plan. There will be no suffering in heaven. So the work of purification that comes through suffering, the work of spiritual sanctification that comes through suffering has to be accomplished here on earth. And God's got a place assigned for you in eternity. He has a plan for you in eternity how He's going to use you. And He is preparing you in this life for where you'll be in eternity. You remember when they built the temple, Solomon's temple, they would cut the stones out in a quarry miles away. But they cut them out so exactly 
that when they came to be placed in the temple, no hammer, no nail was used. They would be fit right in. You remember that? Well, that's the picture. We're in the quarry now. We're being shaped. We're being chiseled. Because God's got a place of service for you through eternity. And He's preparing you for that. And what you encounter in this life uh, is that preparation. And that's why some people experience more hardships and difficulties and adversity than others because of God's plan and what He has in store for them. So first, they are an exalted group. The tribulation saints are exalted saints. Secondly, they are exuberant saints. E-X-U-B-E-R-A-N-T. Exuberant saints. Look in verse 3. And they sang a new song before the throne and before the four living creatures and the elders. And no one could learn the song except the 144,000 who had been purchased from the earth. Revelation is so filled with sorrows and suffering and judgment and God's wrath. Yet, it is also filled with great songs and great joy. It seems that it's just two extremes. Some of the greatest songs of the Bible are found in the book of Revelation. The Revelation is a book of song and joyful shouting. For instance, look over in chapter 5 of Revelation. In verses 9 and 10. And they sang a new song. This is in heaven. Worthy art thou to take the book to break its seals, for thou wast slain and did purchase for God with thy blood men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. And thou hast made them to be a kingdom and priest to our God, and they will reign upon the earth. Also in chapter 15, verse 3. And they sang the song of Moses, the bondservant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are your works, O Lord God the Almighty. Righteous and true are your ways, you King of the nations. Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone art holy. For all the nations will come and worship before you. For your righteous acts have been revealed. And then there's also not only great singing, but there's great shouting in Revelation. Look in chapter 5, verse 12, as we see the shouting saints. Saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And then again in chapter 7, verse 10. And they cry out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And then again in chapter 11, verse 15. And the seventh angel sounded, and there arose loud voices in heaven, saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of His Christ. And he will reign forever and ever. And then again in chapter 12, verse 10. 
And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren has been thrown down who accuses them before our God day and night. And then again in chapter 19, in verse 1. After these things, I heard, as it were, a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven saying, Hallelujah, salvation and glory and power belongs to our God, because his judgments are true and righteous, for he's judged a great harlot who was corrupting the earth with her immorality. He has avenged the blood of his bondservants on her. And the second time they said, Hallelujah, her smoke rises up forever and ever. And then again in verse 6. And I heard as it were the voice of a great multitude and the sound as the sound of many waters and as the sound of mighty peals of thunder saying hallelujah for the Lord our God the Almighty reigns. Such great shouting in Revelation. Such great songs. Why so much singing and joyful shouting even in the midst of such suffering and persecution? I believe when great persecution comes, the world is broken away. The worries are taken away and joy replaces them. You know, you may worry about making your house payment, but when you don't have a house, (laughs) you don't have to worry about it, do you? Many of our worldly possessions weigh us down, still rob our joy. But when persecution comes and worldly things are broken away, this moves us closer to God. And as we get closer to God, we get filled with His Spirit. And when we get filled with the Spirit, then there's some holy shouting going on. Shout joyfully to the Lord all the earth, Psalm 101. You see, with intense suffering and persecution comes the joy of the Lord. And I think because the suffering and persecution breaks away worldliness. It helps get our priorities correct. And we realize our relationship with God is really what matters. And we can get excited and shout about that because we have been detached from all these things in the world that drain our joy, that weigh us down. John Huss was bound to the stake for his belief in the authority of Scripture and his stand for the truth of Scripture. And he was burned in a roaring bonfire. But they said he sang so loudly that he could be heard above the roaring of the flames. I remember in the church I was serving, we had uh, some missionaries who were missionaries in Rhodesia, back when it was Rhodesia in, uh, in Africa. And these Christians were enduring some fairly intense persecution uh, and yet, he showed us some slides, and and one of the slides they were dancing and their worship, and I mean they were all excited. You know, it just hit me. Here we are in America, in a free land, and they're more excited about their walk with Jesus, and it may cost them their life, their possessions, but they're excited about it. Something's wrong with that picture. And I think the key truth is that we get drained from 
our joyous state because of all of the worldly things and all of the distractions of the world. And when those things are eliminated through persecution, through hardships and suffering, then the joy of the Lord returns. Now, these tribulation saints are going to have an exuberant, joyful song to sing. Notice what it says about that. They sing a song that no one else can know. A new song before the throne. And no one could learn the song except the 144,000. Isn't that interesting? They sing a song that nobody else can know. Nobody else can learn. Why is that? Nobody has experienced what they are going to experience. Is it? You know, songs come from life experiences. If you go and trace the history behind songs, it just doesn't seem like somebody just wakes up one day and says, I'm going to write a song or a poem, and they just sit down and do it. It seems that they come from some experience in life that they've gone through, and many times it's a difficult experience. Uh, and because of that experience that they've gone through, they just feel this compelling need to, to, to put it down in, in words, and those who are inclined toward poetry uh, will put it down in a poem or uh, it ends up becoming a song, but those come from life experiences. As we have heard the life uh, the experience of behind the song, peace, like a, a you know, it's all well with my soul, uh, and most all songs, if you can look back far enough behind it, you can find a story. Well, the same thing true in this book of Revelation. And these tribulation saints, man, they, these songs, this song that they're going to sing, this new song that I think will never have been sung by the people of God prior to this time because the people of God have never gone through what these Christians are going to be going through. And therefore, they will have a song through that experience that no one else will have, that they'll be able to lift up an exuberant song, to lift it up before the Lord, uh, to sing to Him that song. That'll be a part of, of their exaltation, to be able to lift that song to the Lord. That'll be a part of their exuberance, to be able to, to sing such joyful songs to the Lord, even in the midst of such trials in such difficulties. So we have seen them as uh, an exalted group. They are exuberant saints. And next, they are exclusive saints. They are an exclusive body of saints. Right, few saints throughout all of history have suffered like these saints. Now, I believe the tribulation saints will have a special place in heaven because of their intense sufferings. Their sufferings, their persecution have won them an exceptional place of joy and glory and honor before God. Remember we studied in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6 and 7. It says, In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials, that the proof of your faith being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. The greater the suffering, the greater the testing, the greater the purification, the greater the glory. Uh, 
will come. And these Christians will go through what few, if any, Christians in history have been through before they have gone through it. Also, over in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul talks about how suffering and the amount of suffering we go through increases our weight of glory when we get to heaven. He says, For the momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. So these tribulation saints will join that elite group of saints who have been carried through fires and and lion's dens of history. They'll join the three Hebrew boys who were thrown into the lines, into the fiery furnace. They'll join Daniel, who was thrown into the lion's den. Stephen, who was stoned. The martyrs of history. Jesus said, count it all joy when men persecute you for righteousness' sake. Count it all joy, for your reward will be great in heaven. So if you're fortunate enough to be one of those Christians who enters into the tribulation period, that's another thing. Most people want to get out of it so they won't have to go through it. But when you realize what God has in store for those who do go into it and His grace will be there and be sufficient, you'll have the privilege of being a part of this elite group of God's people. And I think the martyrs, not only of the tribulation, but of history, will have a special place uh, around God's throne. And next, they are exemplary saints. They are exemplary saints. All right, here we go. In verse 4, These are the ones who have not been defiled with women, for they are celibates. They are the ones who follow the Lamb wherever He goes. These have been purchased from among men as first fruits. To God and to the Lamb. They exemplify the saints that bring pleasure to God. Exemplary. E-X-E-M-P-L-A-R-Y. First, they are exemplary in conduct. They're, they're the ones who have not been defiled with women, for they are celibates. And if I was a woman, I'd almost take offense <laughs> At that passage right there, you know. <laughs> I mean, what does he mean by that? It's hard, isn't it? And yet, I'm saying you want to be one of those tribulation saints, don't you? <laughs> All right, what does he mean? Now, obviously, we can't take this literally. I mean, the Bible teaches that, that sex between a husband and wife is a beautiful thing that God has given it as a part of his creation. Uh, and so, it can't be literal. Well, what have we seen already about a harlot? Who, who was described as a harlot? Right? The one world church, prostituted form of Christianity. And so I believe what John is saying to us in his symbolic way is that these Christians have maintained their spiritual separation from worldliness and the false religion of their day. That Babylonian harlot. You remember? It says he, she caused the kings of the world to commit immorality with her. And we said that was being involved in her in her satanic worship. It was a spiritual immorality. You remember how we talked about the scripture uses uh, the term adultery and adulterer to speak of those who have 
committed spiritual adultery, who will worship in any God other than the true God. Well, this is the case in this passage. These spiritual entities, uh, the church is called the bride of Christ. Uh, the false religion is the harlot of Babylon. We saw Old Testament references in Isaiah to pl- that the people of God were playing the harlot when they were going after false gods. And again, look at what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 11, For I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. He's talking to the church at Corinth. For I betrothed you to one husband, that to Christ I might present you as a pure virgin. Obviously, he's not talking about sexual virgin. He's talking about spiritual virgin. And what he's saying is, I want you to be so committed to Christ that you don't wander away to false religions, false gods, and I want to present you to Christ as a pure virgin. Well, this is basically what we're talking about here. These guys are celibates. They are spiritual virgins. They have not been distracted. They have not been been deceived. They have not been pulled away by worldliness and the false religion of the tribulation. They have not been defiled. They have remained separated from the Antichrist and the false prophet. They have refused to bow to the Antichrist. They have refused to receive the mark of the Antichrist. And they exemplify to us a holy conduct, a separation from worldliness, uh, and that which is opposed to God. So first, they are exemplary in their conduct. Next, they are exemplary in their consecration. Continuing in verse 4. These are the ones who follow the Lamb wherever He goes. They are totally committed to follow Jesus no matter where He tells them to go. They have total devotion to Jesus. Their driving force on earth is their unreserved total commitment to Jesus. Their obedience is total. It is unquestioned. It is unreserved. If Jesus says go, even if it means death, they gladly go. Like Caleb of old, they have wholly followed the Lord. No rivals in their life. No restraints. No refusal to live out their commitment. They are exemplary in their consecration. Next, they are exemplary in their conversation. In verse 5, no lie was found in their mouth. They spoke the whole truth. They gave witness to their faith. They knew it might mean their life, but they spoke the truth, and they spoke it straight. They were exemplary in their conversation. Then they will be exemplary in their character as well. It goes on to say in verse 5, and they are blameless. Again, I think we see those who have been purified through their sufferings. Over in the book of Romans, Chapter 5, Paul again talks about the work that suffering and hardships have in our life. And he says in verse 3, And not only this, but we also exult, rejoice in our tribulations. Why? Knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance. And perseverance, proving proven character. And proven character, hope. And hope does not disappoint. And so these Christians who've gone so through so much hardships and so much difficulties have seen their faith strengthened and purified and sanctified, and they stand before God as those who are blameless in character. 
So they are an exemplary group. Here we have the tribulation saints. Uh, and I think, again, the reason that John kind of breaks the flow of the action of the book of Revelation and just kind of stops and says, now, wait a minute. You know, it's like we've seen so much, we're just reeling. And he's saying, now, wait. Let me, I realize that this is a lot to take in. Antichrist, the false prophet, the one world church, the one world government. But I want you to know, my people or my remnant will be there and I will preserve them. I will keep them faithful and they will be an exalted, exuberant, exemplary group. And they'll be exclusive. They'll be my people. So it's meant as an encouragement to us that our God will be all that we need if the time comes that we find ourselves in this type of situation. And, of course, he's all you need now as well. You don't have to wait till the tribulation to have the sanctifying work of hardships and difficulties. Uh, as a man who wrote a book said, don't waste your sorrows. And what he meant was, if you're going to go through sorrows, let it work godliness in your life. Don't turn bitter and get upset with God and turn away from God. That's wasting your sorrow. If you're going to be sorrowful, and you will be, that's part of life, at least let it work out toward your sanctification, toward your spiritual growth. All right, let me close this in prayer. Father, we do thank you that uh, you encourage us in your word. We thank you for these tribulation saints and how they are an example to us even now, uh, how you're able to preserve us and keep us and, and uh, how you're going to be glorified and honored through them in the last days of human history. Bless us now as we go forth. May we go forth in power of your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.